Hello and welcome to the EcoBusiness Podcast. I'm Robin Hicks, Deputy Editor of EcoBusiness. On today's show, we're going to talk about the legal case against climate change. What can the law do to protect us from a changing climate and hold those most responsible for climate change to account? A law firm in Australia, Equity Generation Lawyers, specialises in climate change risk. In its most recent case, the firm is representing eight young students and a nun who are trying to stop government approval of a coal mine in New South Wales. One of the claimants, 16-year-old Laura Kerwin, said that as a young person she can't vote to have her voice heard by politicians and believes her government has a duty to young people to protect their futures from climate change, including stopping the climate impacts of the new coal mine. David Barnden is Principal Lawyer at Equity Generation Lawyers, and he's here to talk to us about the legal case against climate change. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for joining the show. First of all, I want to ask you to tell us a bit about Equity Generation Lawyers. How did the firm come about? It was started in April last year to bring particular expertise to the legal market in Australia. So it's a, it's a boutique private law firm and we specialise in climate change risk um, principally for investors but also for, for systemic risk and um, systemic solutions to the climate change crisis. Can you tell us a, a, a bit about a few of your clients? So we have at the moment three cases for the federal court in Australia. Um, the first one, which is going to trial in November of this year, is on behalf of a member of a superannuation fund. Um, his name is Mark V. He is suing his fund for essentially not doing enough on climate change when investing his money. And so that is a, is a really groundbreaking case and it goes to trustees' obligations to act in the best interests of members. And it's important to note that, that in Australia you won't be able to access your superannuation or, or your pension until you're, you know, you're around 60 years old. So for Mark, that's... Um, that's 2055 and the world's going to look like a pretty different place by then as a result of climate change. Um, so that's Mark. We also have um, a 23-year-old law student from Victoria who's bringing a case against the Commonwealth Government for not disclosing climate change risks to sovereign bonds. And we have recently filed um, another case um, on behalf of students and a nun uh, with respect to a coal mining expansion. Yeah, now we'll get to that case in a minute, which is really interesting, David. Um, first of all, I do want to ask you about some of the trends that you're seeing um, in climate change litigation. I think it's fair to say that the trend is upwards in all sorts of areas. You're seeing more litigation by attorneys generals, um, especially in the states, around protecting um, um, cities and states from climate change risks um, ostensibly caused by, um, by fossil fuel companies. Um, you see more investor litigation. Um, so, so, you know, our, our case um, by Miss O'Donnell um, against Commonwealth is, is an example of that. Um, and you also see, see a lot more challenges to, to particular decisions around coal mines, other fossil fuel projects, um, which will um, 
contribute to the climate crisis. So, so you see a broad range of climate litigation and, and the trends are um, upwards. Um, probably the, the more recent type of climate litigation is for investors and, um, and you know, maybe there's an implicit acknowledgement that, that governments just aren't doing enough. And so the private sector um, and investors who, who essentially want a sustainable world so they can keep on making money, they're, they're the ones who are becoming more aggressive um, in climate litigation. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned earlier on the most recent case that you guys have taken on, which is really interesting, uh, on behalf of eight students and a nun um, against Australia's environment minister to protect young people from the impacts of the Vickery Extension coal project. Um, Can you tell us a bit about that? Really interesting case in that it is um, brought by people under the age of 18. So so we have eight students uh, from all around Australia, aged between 13 and 17. They've gone to the federal court to seek an injunction to prevent Australia's environment minister from giving the final approval to a, um, a coal mine extension project um, on the basis that that coal will be inevitably dug up and burnt and that this particular minister owes a duty of care to these um, younger people uh, to protect them from future climate change impacts. So it's, it's, a, it's a novel um, or it's a certainly um, a, a new approach, at least in Australia. It, it uses these common law duties, which, uh, you know, you find in old cases back in the 1800s. And um, it, the idea is that it, you know, the law exists to protect vulnerable people and it um, imposes duties on, on people in positions of power um, who have control to, um, to, to sort of discharge those duties and, and protect younger people. So, so it's a really, really interesting case. It's also um, a bit of legalese here. It's a class action suit. Can you explain what's meant by that? It's a, isn't that a a suit that's on behalf of a number of people rather than just one individual? It, it is a class action suit. So, so we have um, these eight students who are heading it up uh, and, um, and they represent, and quite, quite ingeniously so, they, they represent every single person in the world under the age of 18. That goes to the global pervasive nature of, of climate change risks. So um, it, it basically says, look, younger people are going to suffer. They're going to suffer disproportionately. Uh, people under 18 in, in, in Australia, for example, they can't vote, they can't run for elections, so, so they don't have um, any real official element of control over, over how decisions are being made. So, so it, it's really quite exciting and quite exciting for these students to, um, to say, hey, look, we, we, we represent a whole range of younger people. It's interesting that the cases, you, you mentioned the class of claimants, right, includes, and to quote, every single person under the age of 18 around the world. Um, won't it be difficult to prove that the minister owes a duty to so many people to prevent climate change? How, how does that work? What it comes down to is 
the control that the minister has. So the minister must make a decision either way on whether or not to approve this coal mine extension. And, um, and by virtue of that extension, um, you know, that will enable coal to be dug up and burnt, increasing emissions and, and thereby increasing negative impacts on, on climate change. So, so it comes down to what the minister can do and, and so in making that decision, um, because those impacts will um, invariably be on um, everyone around the world, because we're not, we're not talking about, you know, dust from a coal mine, which is just, uh, you know, for, for people that might live within, you know, a few or, or tens of kilometres, we're, we're talking about climate change risks. And these are global risks. So, so it comes down to the control that the minister has. Can you go into any detail about the sort of evidence they'll be, be using or evidence you'll be pointing to to make your case? Oh, yeah, look, 100%. So in the claim document, we, um, we, we talk about climate impacts. We, we look at um, physical impacts um, that climate change will have uh, all around the world in terms of um, increased frequency of, of bushfires or wildfires, which you see now in the, in the US and earlier this year in Australia. Um, and you see sea level rise, every, everything like that. I mean, you can look at the IPCC reports to, to get a, a feel for what's going on. But um, it's particularly how those impacts translate to, to harm. And, and, and in this case, harm on people who are now young, but um, what the case does is it, is it looks to the future. It looks to future harm. And, and you know, when, for example, our, um, um, our, our students who, who are running the case, um, you know, by 2080, they will be, they will be 80 years old um, under, you know, the current scenarios. Some people think that the world will be, you know, four degrees on average higher in terms of global warming and so so you these these people will be subject to all sorts of harm arising from just you know by the fact that it's hotter more humid um more prevalent uh, tropical diseases uh you know uh, refugees um climate climate refugees so this whole way that that these, um, these young people will be impacted in the future. Um, those impacts are they're going to be serious. And, um, and as a result of that harm, that future harm, which is, is, is foreseeable, um, you know, everyone, everyone knows about this, the, the science is indisputable. Um, so, so if the world doesn't change, and in particular if, you know, decisions like this um, go ahead, then, then invariably we'll, we'll be inflicting those, that harm on, um, on younger people and that's what the case seeks to prevent. The response to this case in particular, David's, has been pretty amazing in terms of column inches. I've been seeing loads of media reports on it. Um, what's your sense of the general support among the public in Australia for a case like this? You know, Australia's economy is highly dependent on coal to support... Um, many jobs, right? And yet Australia also has a really vocal um, green movement. So, yeah, what's your sense of the general level of support for this case? 
oh, the, the support's been overwhelming. Um, you know, we've received uh, messages of support from from people in, in primary school all the way up to, you know, people in their, in their 80s who are, who are thrilled that um, there's there's a way and, and that these young people have found a way to challenge these decisions which appear to be made with, you know, scant, scant respect for, um, for for younger people and the impacts of climate change. So, so look, we're, we're really proud to represent these younger people and, um, of, of course, you know, the, the economy and, and the contribution of, of things like coal are... Um, or have been historically important to Australia. I've, I think in many cases they've been overstated, but um, we're not we're not shutting down any existing operations. So so there's no there's no jobs there's there's no jobs that currently exist. Um, it's reasonably you know it's not a stretch to to repurpose um, where this capital might might be spent and, and create jobs in renewables, for example. So, so look, I mean, the, we have a lot of support for this case. Indeed. And and this case comes, as you mentioned earlier, David, a few months after one you guys handled for Cata O'Donnell, right? The first legal action against the Australian government over climate risks. Um, another fascinating case. What hinges on uh, possible victory for this case in, in your view? Yeah, so so that you can think about that case in, in two steps. And the first is establishing that climate change is a material risk to to sovereign bonds or, you know, essentially the, the debt that the government issues to be able to pay for essential services. And, and you know, there's a lot of debt being issued at the moment um, in COVID times where um, the government is, is providing a lot of, you know, support. Um and so we, there's, there's already, you know, credit ratings agencies saying that climate change is a material risk to these bonds. We, we see uh, the Swedish central banks selling out of um, Western Australian and Queensland bonds, so two states in Australia, on the basis that Australia is, is A, not a good climate citizen and, and B, that per capita emissions in both those states are really high. So, so you, you, you start, you, you already start to see this, this kind of approach by, by major investors to, um, to climate change risks for sovereign bonds. So, so that's the, the first step is materiality. And the second step is, um, is that the government owes, a, again, a, a, a duty to investors to inform them of risks. And, um, and so there's nothing in the, um, the bond issue documents that refer to climate change risks. Um, there's nothing that say that, you know, the, the worse Australia performs on the international stage, then the, the more reputational risks um, they face. And, and so there's a whole bunch of things that Australia is doing at the moment that, um, for example, increases our reputational risk and increases the possibility that that central banks, for example, like the Swedish central bank, will sell out of bonds. Indeed, um, I've got I've got to ask you though, David. I'm fascinated by both of these cases. Um, I do wonder to myself, um, how hopeful are you? How optimistic you are? You guys are, after all, going up against 
you know, a big government, the federal government that is a very coal-friendly government. Um, so, yeah, how, how optimistic are you? Yeah, well, the fact that the government's coal-friendly or not shouldn't impact the, um, you know, the, the, the prospects of success. We, we work with very experienced members of the bar, so, so senior barristers who, um, who back these claims in, um, where you know, we, we obviously do a, do, a, do a lot of research and um, where we have obligations to, to, to bring um, claims that, that have, have a, you know, uh, we think are, are going to be fine. Um, so we're in it to win it. And um, there is an element of, um, of newness in terms of climate change uh, in, like, as a subject matter, but these claims rest on really fundamental principles of law. So, you know, we're, we're looking forward to getting into court. What do you think the future holds for climate litigation in Australia? Do you think we'll see more cases um, such as these as climate change, uh, climate change intensifies? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I suspect as, I mean, hopefully Australia's governments and decision makers start to make better decisions around climate change you may not see um, a lot of future litigation. Um, what you might see is litigation by investors against, you know, companies that, that they invest in for not being prepared around climate change risks. Uh, so, so I suspect that the nature of litigation might, might change um, and instead of being directed at, at decision makers uh, like like the environment minister, um, you might get them more directed at, um, at companies who are just simply not prepared for a transition. Really interesting. Um, David, it's been fascinating talking to you. Um, thanks so much for joining the Eco Business Podcast. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.